season's going to end on a double doink. Doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh the doctor laugh. is now in. Glad to have you with us on a Tuesday afternoon. You know what that means. Terrible Tuesday it is. Yeah. Plenty of terrible Tuesday takes for you today. And, of course, plenty of NCAA tournament talk as we continue on with the most March Madness coverage right here for you. TCMartinShow.com. Numchuck on the other side of the glass making it all happen. He's grooving. You know, you know what you're doing, Numchuck? You know what you're doing? You're moving, you're grooving, you're rolling, you're strolling. Yeah! You like that voice there? Shout out Dougie Doop. Where you at, Dougie? Get back here, Dougie. Numchuck, he's rolling, he's strolling, he's moving, he's grooving. I'm getting down to that funky sound that's all around. Yes! TC and the Soul Patrol in your town. You like that, don't you? All right, today on the show, Steve Lapis will join us. The coach, the former Villanova coach, does a fantastic job, of course, on CBS Sports. Appreciate Steve Lapis, part of the team here, joining us. Pete Gillen, yes, who is still alive and well, he joins us tomorrow. So we uh, continue that all week long here. Also, Marco D'Angelo will join us, handicapping it, talking about not only... The final four. We'll recap the Elite Eight Sweet 16. So I didn't get a chance to talk with Marco last week because I was out of town. So we'll get Marco on the show today and get some NIT thoughts because I like an NIT game tonight. Final four at Madison Square Garden. That's what's terrible. I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but the NIT, synonymous with Madison Square Garden, been there since like 1939. Long time, and they're going away from the garden. NIT will not be at Madison Square Garden after this year. Terrible. Horrendous. So, yeah, don't like that at all. I know a lot of people aren't crazy about the NIT because they feel, well, it's a secondary tournament. But uh, once you get to the, the final four of the semifinals of the National Invitational Tournament, which was actually prior to the NCAA tournament, if you know your history going way back when. A lot of good history there. A lot of good traditions as well, too. So Xavier and St. Bonaventure, they're playing tonight at the Garden. They're going to kick it off at uh, 4 our time. And then it's Texas A&M taking on Washington State tonight. So a couple pretty good games. So if you're jonesing for some basketball, still can't get enough, and you can't wait till Saturday for the Final Four in New Orleans, then... You watch that tonight, uh, NIT semifinals. All right. So, yes, on the show today, Steve Lapis, Marco D'Angelo will join us. TJ Reeves will join us from Tampa, Florida as well, too, as we talk more March Madness with you here today. But like I said, where do we start? On a terrible Tuesday. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong 
In the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, the NFL has their meetings going on right now. Owners' meetings. Competition committee has spoken again because the NFL has adopted another rules change. That's right. Okay. The NFL has adopted another rule change. And what do you think it has to do with? Oh, yes. Of course. It's overtime. Because the overreactionary league that we know as the NFL is at it again. And this time it is about the OT. The new rule is each team will get a possession in overtime. Then it becomes sudden death. All right, first team to score wins, but only after each team gets the ball. And, of course, this has been a big subject since last season because all this discussion is because of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills playoff game last season, which was a fantastic game. But since we have to find something to complain about, other teams... In the league, we're complaining that Kansas City won the coin toss. They went down. They scored a touchdown on the opening drive. And that was jubilation for Kansas City Chiefs fans. But on the other sideline, the cameras kept showing what? Josh Allen sitting on the sideline wanting to play, but he can't go in because his defense couldn't get the stop on the Chiefs. Therefore, game over. And you remember, this got a lot of talk because well he didn't get a chance to to get the ball this is wrong so here we have a high profile game we have two high octane offenses two of the best quarterbacks in the national football league oh give him a chance to play it's like the bad news bears let them play let them play no no you had 60 minutes to play didn't you and it wasn't enough so you go to overtime those are the rules people shouldn't bitch and complain about it But this is a problem with the National Football League because, like I said, they are the overreactionary league. They always overreact to a situation or a rule or something that does not go uh, according to form. It's because they keep changing things. I mean, over and over. We've seen every year they change something, whether it's the way they're going to call penalties, whether it's we're going to kick off From the 30, the 35, the 40, let's move it back to the 35. Let's go move it back to the 30. I mean, we've seen this for decades with this league. Now, going back to the overtime rule, this only applies for the playoffs. Regular season games that go into overtime will still remain the same as before, where the team scores a touchdown on their first possession, game over. All right. So... There are a couple different proposals that were interesting here on the table. So teams get a chance to submit their proposals. The Indianapolis Colts and the Philadelphia Eagles proposed that each team gets the ball in the overtime period. Tennessee actually proposed that if a team wins the coin toss and they score a touchdown where normally the game would be over, well, the Titans said, let's do this. Make that team that scores a touchdown convert a two-point conversion. So even make it a little bit harder. Then if they don't get the two-point conversion, then the other team gets the ball. So 
The competition committee went over all this, and ultimately they decided to modify the Colts and the Eagles proposal, which I don't know what they're talking about modifying because that is the rule that's in place right now, right? That uh, they're talking about doing, let team let the team each uh, possess uh, the ball. But here's where the problem is. We don't have two sets of rules. You don't play the game the same no matter when it's played, whether it's regular season or postseason. Okay, if you're going to implement this rule where each team now gets the ball at least one time and then it goes in to sudden death overtime, okay, that that's fine. But they decided to only do it for the playoffs and not for the regular season. And to me, that makes no sense. Because when you coach a team and you prepare a team, you prepare them for the rules that are in place. And those are the rules. Plain and simple. Doesn't matter when it is. And I understand, you know, no one wants to see overtime games in preseason. But do we have different rules for preseason? Do we have different rules for regular season? And then all of a sudden, well, let's add a new wrinkle only for the postseason. I mean, no, we don't. And this is the problem with this league. And this league is so great. It is the most popular sport that we have on the planet. And the NFL just can't seem to get out of its own way when it comes to changing things, whether it's you know going to, to replay on certain things that you can do and then you can't do, or you know, uh, let's let's tighten up on pass interference and let's make this a point of emphasis. How many times do we hear from referees, this is the point of emphasis? All right? Here's what I don't understand. All right? So the regular season, you want to institute a clock. Okay, I get that. All right? But if you want to be consistent, then just do it the same. The problem is the NFL has already shortened the game so so many different times. Whether it's the guy goes out of bounds, let's keep the clock winding. Then people complained about that. Okay, guy goes out of bounds, let's stop it. And then once we're getting ready to reset the ball, then we'll crank it up again. You know, not like college where, okay, then, you know, you, you snap the ball and then that's when the clock restarts. No, they have so many iterations of the clock and everything else that they get here. So I get that. But you go back to 2017 when the NFL shortened the overtime period from 15 to 10. I mean, it, it limits you. It limits you how many possessions you get. And it's like we are in such a hurry to get this game over with. And fans don't aren't in a hurry to get the game over with. The game was designed a certain way. Quit trying to change it. And if they're so concerned with time, then why even have an overtime? Why didn't just go back to it being a tie? Well, of course not, because no one wants a tie, right? You're concerned about injuries. All right, fine. Then go back to the old school and just don't even have it. But I'm tired of hearing about, well, we can't have too long of an overtime period because we got to think about player safety and injuries and that sort of thing. So then you institute something, and then you have a playoff game that's the Chiefs and Bills, and you have a, just a, a pinball machine goes off in the final two minutes. we got score, 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 score. Then we get to overtime, and the Chiefs score. And all of a sudden, oh, Buffalo can't get a chance to score. Well, how about this? You know, sudden death was perfectly fine back in the day. First team to score, done. You played 60 minutes, all right? Each team has about an average of about 65 to 70 plays you get. Okay, that's fine. That's enough. That's fine. How about defense? Defense is part of the game, too. And that's what everyone is missing here. Defense wins championships, right? That's what they say. 
then work on your defense to get some stops. And quit complaining and say, well, we need to possess the ball too. Coin flip. You have a coin flip. It's a 50-50 shot, right? That's the way it is. That's the rules. How else are you going to do it? That's as fair as you could do it. But now, just because a team is lacking on the defensive end and they can't stop a high-powered offense, that's the way it is. Plain and simple. So either, instead of changing these rules and have a different set of rules for overtime in the postseason compared to the regular season, how about just play some defense? It's that simple. Stop the other team from getting into the end zone. Always changing the rules. It's just the way that this game it, it plays out. And sure, you, people could say it's not fair, but just figure out what the most important thing is. What's the most important thing? Is it shortening the game? Is it fairness to do, get a deserved outcome? Or is it just to, hey, let's play and win the game? You play enough. You play enough football of 60 regular minutes. I would be a, a perfect fan of just going to straight sudden death like they did way back in the day. All right, so let's look at the numbers of this nonsense. Teams winning the coin toss. You know what their percentage is of winning the game? What do you think it is? All right? Some people probably say, well, 80, 70? No. It's 50%. What's the chance of you getting heads or tails on the coin flip? 50%, right? So this is a much to do about nothing. I'm not a Shakespeare guy, but it goes up slightly once you... You've shortened this now from 15 minutes to 10 minutes, going back to 2017, up to 54% if you get the coin toss and you win the game, all right? Since the current format was implemented, seven of the 12 overtime games have been won in the opening possession. Ten of those 12 were won by the team that won the coin toss. Okay, so what? That's the way it is. Win the coin toss. Maybe you get a little bit of advantage. But the bottom line is, if you're playing defense, you know, you're going to get the ball back. Plain and simple. So put more emphasis on defense and keep the offense out of the end zone. That's how we fix this. Plain and simple. All right. Everyone knows how much I love college basketball, right? But certain elements of the game just simply drive me crazy. Coaches taking timeouts before halftime. That's it. I almost lost it when I was in San Francisco this week. And I'm watching this these games, and then I'm watching the games on TV. And this this has been going on for quite some time now. But here's the perfect example. You're watching the Carolina-St. Peter's game, right? There's less than a minute to go in the first half. Carolina's up 36-17. to Hubert Davis calls timeout. For what? You're up 19 points. Hubert, did you set up a play so you could... Go up by now 21? Is that what you're trying to do? I mean, really, what is the purpose? To delay the game even more? To lose more momentum for your team going into halftime? To stand around while everybody does nothing? You're up 19, okay? You're going in. You have the lead. The game is totally in hand here. You put up uh, your fist. You pull out a number. You call a play set. Real easy. And you take the last shot. And you roll with it. You get to halftime, and guess what? You're up by 19. Maybe you're up by 21, all right? You go into the locker room. You have some oranges. You have some Powerade. And we're happy. That's it. But why do coaches do this? Because of the rule that says you have a use-it-or-lose-it timeout. 
And I'm sick of hearing this from the announcers. Well, he's going to use his use it or lose it timeout. Well, what this means is in college basketball, each team gets four timeouts. However, you can only use three of those timeouts in the second half. Why do they do this? Oh, they don't want too many game delay stoppages. Okay. Well, I'll give you another point on that here in a minute. So they have this use it or lose it timeout in the first half. Okay. You don't have to use it just because it's there. Just because you have it in your back pocket doesn't mean you have to use it, especially when you're blowing a team out. It doesn't make any sense. It drives me nuts. Now, just as bad as this is a team that's taking a timeout right before the mandatory media timeout. And everybody knows how this goes, right? So every four minutes, you have the mandatory media timeout in case of these long-gated runs, and we see that sometimes, where we have to get our commercials in. So the 16-minute mark, next dead ball, timeout. 12-minute mark, timeout. 8-minute mark, timeout. Dead ball, under four, timeout, right? So these morons, and I saw it in San Francisco, clock's under four minutes, and they're, I guess they're tired because the referees have swallowed their whistle for the last two minutes, which is totally fine. So it gets down to about 327, and coach says, timeout. So they go in and they take a timeout. So there it is. We're under four minutes. That should be your media timeout. So what happens? They come back on the floor. Ball gets tossed out of bounds, or there's a traveling call. Timeout. Media timeout. So literally, you have six minutes minimum of, of commercials in about an eight- or nine-minute span. If some coach is going to take the timeout, that should be the media timeout. Why do we get bonus commercials? No need to have bonus commercials. You don't need that. If he calls a timeout under four minutes or you know, under any media timeout, that should be the mandatory timeout. Not the next one is, well, that's our media timeout because Coach K took this timeout. It's insane. It just drives me nuts. No rhyme or reason. It drives me as nuts as the block charge call. Because I can't figure that out. It's ridiculous. And it's come to this. The most controversial call in the game. And it's so nonsensical that no one has a rhyme or reason for it that we have to put the semicircle in front of the basket to cure it all. No, that's not what happens. And it doesn't work that way. It's a joke. Because what's the difference if a guy is going to be planted... If he's got one foot in the circle, one out, that's no good. Or if he's got both in the circle. Or what if he's got it outside by the baseline? If he's planted and he's set for that one second, boom! His feet don't need to be in the circle. How many times do we see a guy moving his feet, moving his body, and he's in the circle? And the official just says, oh, you're in the circle? It's uh, There it is. All right? That's the charge. Outside, it's a block. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. And what is more ridiculous is that you have these players embellishing. Hence, the flop rule that is in play now. Why? Because these guys are actors. They're trying to go ahead and not only embellish the calls, but they're trying to circumvent the rules as well, too. So this has turned out to be more about what you can do during the course of a game to trick the official. That's what it's come down to. So it makes me sick. Some college basketball terrible Tuesday takes. If you got some, I'd love to hear from you. 702-221-7283. If you got some thoughts, 
hit me on any of this. Is it just me? Do you feel the same way? Or have you got some other terrible Tuesday takes? Go ahead and, 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 and fire away with us here. So, unbelievable with, uh, with that and the NFL overtime. All right. Everyone wants to talk about the Academy Awards, don't they? They want to talk about this. I did get a chance to see this. Now, if you missed this, Will Smith and Chris Rock. Chris Rock coming out to present award for the best documentary. But before he did that, I guess he just felt the need that he had to go into his routine and deliver three or four jokes doing that. And one of them was at Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife. Now, if you have not heard this audio, we have the unedited version because, well, we bleeped out the one Two words that Will Smith said. But if you watch this live on ABC at the Academy Awards and the Oscars the other night, they went silent because they do have the seven-second delay. So a lot of people didn't know what was going on. Here's the unedited version of this. You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem and his wife are both nominated. Now, if she loses, he can't win! Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? (laughs) (laughs) It's Jawas. That was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh oh. Richard. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the out of me. He's my name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was a... Greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Okay. So after that, Chris Rock was so discombobulated and thrown off, he couldn't even get out the documentary award. Now we're going to go to some documentaries. Oh, I mean, we're going to uh, give the Oscar for the best documentary. He was thrown off here. So people are on both sides of this, whether you're social media or television, radio talk shows, whatever, people are on, on, on both sides. They blame Will Smith. They blame Chris Rock. And here's the thing with comedians. And tomorrow we're going to have our resident comedian, Dennis Gaxiol, on with us to get, to get his take with this. Comedians don't get a free pass. And we've talked about this before with Dennis, that, you know, just because... They go ahead and, and and have the floor. It doesn't give you the right to insult somebody, especially someone who has a condition with their hair, and which Jada Pinkett Smith does. Now, upon further review, Chris Rock, I can guarantee, did not have any idea that she had this condition about her hair. He's making a joke. I, I don't. I don't see that. You know, Chris Rock is spending a lot of time figure, you know, knowing who has what condition and, and, and that sort of thing. If you're Will Smith, of course, you stepped over the line and you slapped him. But how many people today and yesterday are saying, good for you, Will Smith. Stand up to this guy. And obviously there has to be some history between these two guys. 
There's history there. And if you listen to Chris Rock, he was about ready to say, and I believe it was something along these lines, you know, I could, and then he stopped himself. Like, in other words, he could go after Will Smith, he could make some other comments, and then he stopped. But who do you think would win in a knockout, dragout fight? Best two out of three falls. Is it Will Smith or is it Chris Rock? I'm taking Will Smith on this. All right? (laughs) But what this did do, yeah, it was a black eye for the Academy Awards, but it was pretty entertaining as well, too. So I'm not sure if this is really terrible or not. I mean, this is what everyone's talking about right now. And not a whole bunch of people really care for Chris Rock anyway. People love Will Smith. And if you go back and you look at the look on Jada Pinkett Smith's face while he was delivering the joke, she was upset. Will Smith was laughing. And then it cuts away back to Chris Rock. So I guarantee you that Jada looked at Will and said, what are you going to do about it? And then Will said, okay, I'm going to hightail it up there. It was like he was acting. It was like he's one of the best actors. And he won the award for best actor. For King Richard, which, by the way, was fantastic. Anyway, probably Denzel probably should have won for Macbeth. But anyway, that's another story. But then he just turned his mode and just, boom, now I'm going to go up there, straight face. I'm going to slap the heck out of this guy. And he did. So, very interesting. Uh, When Will Smith won the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Featured Role... He basically was saying he was sorry. He was crying. He was talking about he's all about love. That that speech was all about what he did earlier in the evening. He didn't apologize to Chris Rock, but he did apologize to the to the Academy for his behavior, which I can appreciate. And again, whether you're provoked or not, it does not give you the, the right to go up and slap someone. I understand that. But... Is this really as bad as people are making this out? Chris Rock obviously isn't pressing charges. Okay, it was a slap. Highly entertaining. Everyone moved on. Everyone laughed. I felt bad for Questlove, who got the the award for best documentary. And did you take away from his moment? You talked to him. He'll say no. So a lot of this now is just a bunch of talk. Now the Academy is talking about. Well, should we? take his award away for Best Actor. That's ludicrous. That's insane. But they're actually having this conversation today if they should rescind his award. He got the award for Best Actor because he was fantastic in King Richard. All right? You don't do that. Do you want him not to come to future Academy Award presentations? I don't think Will Smith would mind about that. I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of these guys don't want to be there and be there for three and four hours and and even earlier than that to go through the red carpet and all this other nonsense. And, you know, so could they do it? Should the Academy maybe have done something possibly after that, but they let it slide because they've never really been through anything like this before and they did not know how to react. So I guess you could be on both sides of this debate or argument or side, I guess. But bottom line is I think more people than not are saying, hey, Chris Rock shouldn't have gone there. It was a low blow. And we'll get it from a comedian's perspective, uh, one of the best with our friend Dennis Gaxiola tomorrow. But uh, 
Interesting night at the Academy Awards. All right, uh, hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21 if you got some Terrible Tuesday takes as well, too. Again, today's show, we got Marco D'Angelo, TJ Rees, and when we come back, the head coach and one of the great analysts with CBS Sports College Basketball, Steve Lapis, as we talk Final Four. Get wrecked with the Dr. TC Martin. All right, we start hyping it up. Final Four, looking forward to being in New Orleans coming up on Saturday. And what a Final Four that we got. Championship game on Monday night in the Superdome, or whatever we're calling it now. Mercedes-Benz Dome, that's what we're doing? Okay. Let's uh, visit uh, with the former coach and, of course, one of the great analysts on CBS Sports. Uh, Love having him on the show and we are talking, of course, about the one and only Steve Lapis. Steve, what is going on, my friend? Everything's good. How's it going? It's going great, my friend. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> we're living this thing. Uh, I got a chance to be in San Francisco for the West Regionals last weekend. That was a, a, a lot of fun. I know you were doing studio work last week, and you got a little bit of a break from from calling all this action. But, uh, yeah, it just never stops, right? And uh, I guess you, you got to love it. It doesn't matter where you're at, Steve, right? If you're... If you're in a gym, you're in an arena, you're calling the, you know, the play-by-play, if you're in the studio, we're still loving March Madness no matter where, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. Being a part of it has been really good for me. I've enjoyed it so much over the years at CBS. So, uh, yeah, and then calling the games is great that I've been doing for about seven or eight years now. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's no doubt about it. Nothing like it. So I want your thoughts, what you saw from your perspective in the Sweet 16 down to the Elite Eight games. What uh, what really stood out to you the most? Well, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was how uh, Duke won that Michigan State game and how much I think it did for them. You know, they, they were down five with uh, five minutes to go. It looked like they were on the brink. And let's face it, they, they had not really responded that well in those pressure-packed situations of Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor. And then came the ACC Championship game. And so you were a little worried about, you know, are these guys going to be wobbly in a big spot? And they were in a big spot. I mean, they were facing elimination. They were facing the end of Coach K's career. And they came up huge in that game against Michigan State. So you got to give them a ton of credit. And I think that game allowed them, it was a springboard for them to really, uh, you know, go out there and get this renewed confidence that I think that they played with. You know, and they, they played with tremendous confidence, I thought, against Texas Tech and Arkansas. And uh, I think that that Michigan State game in the uh, second round was a huge win, and I think that's why we're seeing them right now playing the best basketball. And they have the best team. They have, I mean, they've got three for sure, probably four first-round draft picks. And uh, the fact that they are now playing with the confidence, now there's going to be a whole new pressure this week. You're playing North Carolina for the first time in – in history, in the NCAA tournament, you play them in the Final Four. Uh, I'm sure there's some payback that they want there. So uh, that's going to be a really interesting, compelling game. You echoed my thoughts and my words, Steve, because I said the exact same thing when I'm watching that Michigan State game with Duke and watching Coach K's interview afterwards and just seeing the look on those players' faces after that game. It was like, wow, breath of fresh air. And now it kind of seems like, okay, we've got that behind us now, and maybe we're playing with house money uh, a little bit too. And speaking of house money, from a, a gaming perspective, which of course we look at here in Vegas, you know, as they as Duke headed into the West Regionals when they were an underdog against Texas Tech, 
you could get Duke at 18 to 1. And I was kicking myself saying, when can you ever get Duke at 18 to 1? They've never been that high during the course of the year because odds always change on who's going to be cutting down the nets at, at the end of this. And now, as we go into the Final Four with the big win against Texas Tech and then follow up with Arkansas, now they're the favorite basically at plus 160. And it's, it's that. And that's exactly what I saw with the Duke team is like they're playing with confidence. They're playing more loose now. And maybe going through that whole, you know, Coach K farewell tour, so to speak. And then what happened with that last game where they lost to North Carolina? I, maybe that helped them in the long run. Yeah, it may have. And, I, you know, uh, I don't know. I'll tell you this week if that North Carolina game helped, helped, helped them or not, depending on what happens against North Carolina this week. But there's no doubt the Michigan State game helped them get to where they are right now. Steve Lapis joins us from CBS Sports and, of course, the former coach. All right, Steve, I want to talk to you about the Villanova-Kansas game and specifically your former team, the Villanova Wildcats. Very unfortunate that Justin Moore had to go down the way he did. And I love watching this team. Uh, I, I love what Jay Wright has done. And I just, you know, I made the comment, you know, earlier in this week, too, that it seems like all of those Villanova players, when they're not uh, practicing or any of their free time, they must spend it in the weight room because all of those guys have got bulk. They're, they're all strong. It doesn't matter if, if they're guards or they're power forwards or what. But you know, they have this size. This team is just built for March, it seems like. And you know all about March, and you know all about you know Villanova. I want you to just speak about the culture of this program in general. And again, they're in a professional sports city in Philadelphia, but we know that they basically carry the flag and carry the banner for all of the schools there in Philly. There's a lot of rich tradition there, as you well know better than anybody, in the Big Five, the Palestra and everything. And it seems like maybe a lot of people aren't talking about Villanova coming into this tournament, but we watch this team year in and year out, and we know that they are a perennial favorite, a perennial powerhouse. I just love everything about this team, but talk about the culture of this program that you were involved in firsthand? Well, you know, when you, when you talk about a culture, uh, you know, Jay Wright has, has, has uh, you know, really started, done something with this team and this program, and he's initiated a culture of these guys will play the same way every day, game in and game out. And I think the thing, that's what culture means to me. When there's a culture, it means this is how we are going to play consistently day in and day out on both ends of the floor. And I really believe that of everybody in this tournament, maybe everybody in this country, I would say Villanova and Houston have the most consistent cultures right now. And what I mean by that is you know exactly what you're going to get from these guys on both ends of the floor from one game to the next. Now, they may lose because they miss shots, but they're always going to give that unbelievable effort. They're undersized, yet they're able to play. Houston's the best rebounding team or one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They play them within one on the glass. Um, They're small. They're tough. They're physical. They're going to shoot threes. They're going to play together. They're going to go one-on-one when they have to. They're going to move it, make the extra pass when they have to. It's, it's, It's the same thing. It's like a machine. It's like every game, game in and game out, it's the same thing from these guys. You see the same effort. You see, you see the same shots from one game to the next. It's incredible. It really is incredible how similar they are 
from one game to the next to the next. And to me, when you talk about culture, that's what it is. And that's about creating a culture. It's who we are, and nobody knows who they are in this country better than Villanova. Yep, and you're, you're 100% correct. And it seems like, again, it's year in and year out, whether you know it's the system and the players that Jay Wright is recruiting as well. And I know he has a certain type of player that he wants, and it seems like it doesn't matter you know what year it is that you know that Villanova is going to play tough, tenacious defense, they're they're really not going to. Well, sometimes they do they do get out and run, but their players are disciplined. They're usually a very good perimeter shooting team. Uh, they usually have some size, and like we're seeing this year, Steve, they are the best free throw shooting team in the country. And again, it's how much of that goes to Jay Wright knowing what type of player that he wants, and he's going after that specific guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, he knows exactly what he's looking for. He's looking for guys. They all and one thing about these guys, they all can dribble. All of them. Yep. Let's start there. There's nobody on the team that can't handle the ball. So he doesn't recruit anybody. He doesn't recruit guys like you know. He won't recruit a Kofi Coburn. Not that he wouldn't think Kofi Coburn's a good player. He's right. a very good player. But he just can't do the things that that Jay Wright wants all of his guys to be able to do. So they all can go one on one because they all can go off the dribble. You know, uh, Brandon Slater's not a great shooter. Neither is Jermaine Samuels. They make their share of threes. But they got the other three guys on the perimeter. When I and I include Justin Moore in that in, in that category, there is you know those guys can all make a shot, and that's and you know Caleb Daniels obviously is a a very important guy this week, especially. But they basically have played with six starters all year, and you know I know people are saying about this game, and you know they got no chance or whatever, and you know I, I don't really agree with that, you know, and I don't agree with that because I think that. If they can get, I think there are five guys. Obviously, they're going to miss Justin Moore. There's no question about it. But the five guys that they're going to be putting out there are all guys that have played big minutes for them. Now, if those five guys can play 37 minutes each, they've got a chance to win. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, whether that can happen or not, 37 minutes each, because now you're going to have to play probably Chris Diacono a little bit more. You're going to have to play Ryan Antoine, who hasn't played much this year who's had injuries in and out. And they, the other thing is they have another bet. Their best guy off the bench after Caleb Daniels was this kid Longino. And Longino now, a brand, uh, uh, Jordan Longino is now out for the year. He just had surgery. So they've really gotten hit with, you know, we only play seven guys and two of them get hurt. That's a lot. Yeah. And one of them is the best players. So, but this team, if everything goes perfect, they can win this game. Do, are they favored? No. Should Kansas win? Yes. But I would not count Villanova out. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. How much does Justin Moore's injury hurt this team? And I know Caleb Daniels will step in, and they are already lacking depth like everything that you said. But I know a lot of people are just are, are writing this team off because of that, because they were playing so well, and Moore was such a big part of that. So when you when you really break it down like this, I mean, what is what are the chances that this team, you know, does really slip because of Justin Moore, or can Daniels and Archie Diakono step up and fill those minutes for two games I, potentially? It, it, they're going to slip in terms of I don't think they can keep it together for two games. I think they can keep it together for one game. I think it's very difficult under these conditions to keep it together for both games and now play for a national championship against 
Duke, let's say, and and think that that's not going to hurt. So uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a terrible injury, you know, to them because he's their second leading scorer, he's their second best three point shooter, he's their third best rebounder. He he's actually you know third on the team in block shots, and he's a guard, and they don't have much rim protection as it is. So I mean, this kid did a lot, a lot, a lot. Like I said, I think you can a lot of times you can hide things for one game. Now is Jay going to play more zone? Then he's played this year. You know, he's got a zone in his bag of tricks. He hasn't used it that much. But, you know, Kansas could see more zone. He's got to do whatever he can do to keep those five guys on the floor almost for 40 minutes. And that's obviously, I'm not saying, you know, that's a tough test for any coach, uh, certainly. But if there's a guy who can figure it out, it's Jay. And uh, But there's no doubt this is a huge, huge injury. And it changes the complexion of things. But can they keep it together for one game, yes. Can they keep it together for two? I doubt. Let me ask you this. They're facing Kansas. Is Kansas that right opponent for Villanova that they could you know, pull off the upset here? Because Kansas has had a rather easy path. I mean, they did have that scare by Miami for a half, and then they – they turned it up a notch big time there in the second half. But, hey, you know, Miami, you know, they were a 10 seed. They were uneven during the course of the year. Very good team. But it just seems like, you know, going into this tournament, we were talking about, well, which one of the number one seeds are most vulnerable? And a lot of us, including myself, said, I think it's Kansas. What is the biggest concern about Kansas? I think the biggest concern about Kansas is is their, their ability to defend the three-point line. You know, and let's face it, that's a big part of what Villanova does. And Villanova's going to have to make threes in this game because scoring inside against McCormick and Jalen Wilson is not going to be easy. And we know Villanova, like Gillespie, likes to go in there and post up and do those things. Now, on the other hand, Jalen Wilson and David McCormick are going to have to run out there and chase those, you know, Eric Dixon and Brandon Slater and chase those guys around on the perimeter a little bit and be able to guard Villanova shooters off of screens. That's not that easy. So I think the biggest concern for Villanova probably in this game is David McCormick is definitely a concern. But I think, you know, they played Hunter Dickinson, and they did a pretty good job. He's a better offensive player than David McCormick is. Uh, I think their biggest concern probably is is Kansas' ability to defend them from the three-point line. Kansas, you know, holds people to less than 30% from three, which is, you know, top 30 in the country. Uh, They have length on the perimeter. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest concern that Villanova is going to have in this game, and obviously stay out of foul trouble. Right. And what about the pace here? We know Villanova, they like to play the game in the 60s. Heck, last week we saw the first one to 50 wins the game against Houston in that dogfight, but we know that Kansas loves to go up and down, and we've seen Kansas get a little careless with the basketball because a lot of times they play too fast. We even saw that in the first half of that game against Miami. So when you play a team like Villanova that likes to grind it out like this is it advantage Villanova well I can tell you right now the game is going to be played at Villanova's pace so in that regard there is an advantage because you know there's always an advantage if if a if a team can play the game the way they're used to playing this game is going to be played the way used to the way Villanova's used to play I guarantee you that because it's much more difficult to speed a team up than to slow it down that's a fact so Villanova is going to slow this pace down they don't turn it over. They only average. They average less than ten turnovers a game, which is you know some of the one of the best in the country. So Villanova is going to be able to control the tempo of this game. Now, on the other hand, Kansas, Bill Self is one of those coaches. Yes, he prefers to run. 
They're at their best in transition, no doubt. But he's a pretty good half-court coach, really good. And there's a lot of guys out there that who only know how to run, who only know how to play half-court. He happens to be one of those guys that does both. And I think that he knows, he knows, and I think instead of wasting his time, and I really think he's, he's I know he's smart enough to know this, wasting his time trying to figure out a way to speed up Villanova, I think he's going to spend I think you're better served spending your time figuring out how we're going to play in the half court. Because you could, you could sit here for the whole last week and try and figure out how you're going to speed them up. You're not going to do it. So you're wasting your time. So let's figure out a way how to beat them in the half court. I think that's where Bill Self is probably spending his time. We know how good of a defensive team Texas Tech is, and their their pace is very slow as well too. And they're and they're a grinded out you know defensive team. Kansas has faced them three times, obviously in the Big Twelve this season. It, one of those games was actually ninety four ninety one though, and Kansas won two of those three games. They won the last two against Texas Tech. Is Texas Tech similar to Villanova, or is Villanova a, a total different beast when you're comparing those two programs? It's totally different because, you know, Texas Tech wants to put pressure on you. They want to make some steals. They want to get out on those steals. Villanova doesn't really turn you over, you know. So it, it, it is it's, it's a similarity in that they played a lot of low-scoring games and their tempo isn't the fastest, but they're different in that Villanova doesn't turn you over. So they're not going to be putting this pressure on Kansas to make Kansas, you know, which can speed up the game. They're going to play. They're packed in, not you know, semi-packed in defense. They'll put a little pressure on the ball, but they're going to play that semi-packed in defense, and they're just going to walk it up every time, and they're going to box out because they they're also one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the country because they're always in good defensive position the way they play, so they don't really give up a lot on the offensive glass. You saw Houston. Houston is the best offensive rebounding team in the country, and yeah, they got a couple. Sure, you're going to get a couple, and so is Kansas, but not going to get a lot. And if you defensive rebound, it's hard for the other team to run. You know what I mean? Because you're going to get the rebound and you're going to walk it up. And that's what they're going to do. All right, Steve Lapis joins us. Great stuff from Steve, who uh, obviously does a great job with, the, with CBS as one of their featured college basketball analysts and, of course, the former head coach at Villanova, Manhattan, and UMass uh, back in the day. All right, here's what I'm noticing, Steve, that all of these teams that are left – Okay, we know that they all have high school All-Americans. We talked about Duke and, and how, how, how great those guys are. But none of these teams seem to have the depth. We talked about Villanova. But Kansas is basically playing six or seven guys. I watched Duke scale. Mike Krzyzewski's really scale down uh, what he's done here in this tournament, especially the last two games, where he basically went six guys. I mean, had Theo John, I think, played five minutes you know, in the, in the game against Arkansas and even uh, the, the prior game as well, too. Why are these coaches, everyone involved here, it seems like they either have no depth right now or they're refusing to use their bench when these are all storied programs where we know that there's you know All-Americans up and down these rosters? Well, I, I, here's what I'll say. Usually in the NCAA tournament, it, it gets much closer to the best as it is. Now, that being said, <laughs> North Carolina's had five guys all year. Villanova's had six all year. Kansas, you know, Bill Self tried to play the kid Coleman Lands as his eighth man the other day, and right. you know, he didn't do much. So he's playing seven, and Duke is playing six, and that's just kind of how, how it's evolved. Now, I think, and I've always been this, this kind of a guy myself, 
you know, playing 10 guys at this point, nine guys, you got to have your best players on the floor in this situation now because you're going against that other guy's best players. You better have your best players out there. And if you've got somebody that you don't trust, don't put them in the game. And that's what these coaches are doing. Now, as I said, though, as it is, Villanova and Carolina have had no depth all year. Duke, you know, they had Theo John. They played him a little during the regular season. Now they're not playing him. And Kansas tried to play eight guys most of the year. Now they're playing seven, and maybe they'll end up being six. But Mitch Lightfoot did play good the other day, so he'll probably, you know, keep getting a chance. And obviously Remy Martin coming off the bench is a real weapon if he plays the right way. North Carolina Duke, my friend. This will be the third time that they've uh, met this season. We all remember what, what happened in uh, in Durham on Coach K's uh, last game here. Why was it so easy for North Carolina to score and to beat Duke at Cameron Indoor when they played about three, four weeks ago? You know, I, I really do think the pressure got to those young guys. I mean, you know, you you, you see what that, 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 like, receiving line was like before, you know what I mean? All those guys there, every Duke player that played for Mike Krzyzewski was there. I mean, the, 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 the pomp and circumstance of that day was, that's a lot. And these guys are young. And that's the one thing about this Duke team. This Duke team is very, very young. You know, their best player is a freshman. Um, you know, the, they have a couple of sophomores and a little bit of experience. Wendell Moore is a junior. But this is a young group. So I think they just, you know, the, 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 the moment was just a little too big at that time. Who do you like Saturday, Duke or North Carolina? I like Duke. I, li- I like Duke. I like I like Duke. I like Kansas, and I think Duke wins the national championship. But again, I'm not count- I'm not discounting Villanova in that game. And Villanova has beaten Kansas a bunch, not only in the tournament but in some regular season games over the last few years. Jay's been very successful against Bill Self, so I'm not discounting them. I think that Kansas wins a barn burner, and I think Duke beats Kansas for the national championship. Duke and North Carolina met 267 times, never here in the Final Four, never in the NCAA tournament. And again, two schools that are located eight miles apart. Now they're meeting in New Orleans here. And it's hard to go against North Carolina you know the way they have just basically rolled through everybody, and I understand that you know they had that scare against Baylor, but got to remember in that game they had a twenty-five point lead as well too. I mean, could you make the argument that probably no one's playing better basketball right now than North Carolina? Well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I don't know. Is somebody playing better than Duke right now? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, last two games, and no question. I mean, yeah, I'm you with know, you with that. Yeah. So I mean, I don't. I yeah, Carolina's playing great. There's no question now. Let's say this: they they played great against St. Peter's, but they did and and not taking nothing from St. Peter's. It was St. Peter's. Right. They beat St. Peter's to go to the Final Four. So let's let's keep that in perspective too. So yes, but this Carolina team starting five, they have three forty percent three point shooters. Brady Manick is a is as tough a, a, a matchup as you're going to have because he's six ten. He steps out. You got Armando Baycott, one of the best rebounders in the country, at three twenty plus rebound games. They've only had like three of those in the history of North Carolina. So, I mean, you know, yes, this is a really, really good team. When Caleb Love plays well, they are, they could beat anybody in the country. He was terrible against Duke at North Carolina. I was there for that game. He played awful, and they got beat by 25 right. that game. They go, to, they go to Cameron Indoor, plays well. The team played up. That starting five can score against anybody, no doubt about it. The question is how are they going to play defensively. That's, that remains to be seen. All right, he is Steve Lapis. Steve, I imagine you're going to be in New Orleans. I'm going to be there. I need I need a quick uh, quick lesson here on Nor- on New Orleans, my friend. The do's and don'ts, and I need a good food spot or two. 
Where where are you sending me? Where are you sending me, my friend? <laughs> I don't really, you know, I haven't been there a long time, so you know, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask Pete Gillen about that, right? Pete, Pete yeah, will help me that. out with that, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, great stuff. Uh, will you? I imagine you will be in New Orleans, though, right? Yeah, I'm doing the studio shows down there. Okay, yes. good deal. Okay, well, we'll try to run into you, my friend. Uh, I appreciate okay. you, as always. Great stuff, as always, and uh, look forward to seeing you, hopefully, uh, Saturday or Monday. All right, take care. Appreciate you. There he is, Steve Lapis, the former coach. He knows all about that culture at Villanova. Absolutely he does, and Jay Wright has taken this program to another level. Again, 2016, Villanova, champions. 2018, champions. 2020, we had no season. We had no tournament, right? 2022, could it be Villanova's year? I'm not selling them short, and I agree with Steve Lapis. I know they're going to be shorthanded. Justin Moore injury is brutal. It's going to hurt. But if anybody can knock off Kansas, it's definitely Villanova. All right, more on the other side. T.J. Reeves will join us as well as Marco D'Angelo handicapping it all for you. Next hour, more NCAA tournament stuff, NFL, and a whole lot more. T.C. Martin Show on a terrible Tuesday. Capital of the world for the second time in the second overtime. It's the TC Martin Show. Ubalus, seven seconds to go. Three pointer. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. The Wiley Bear TC Martin. You can feel the madness. The doctor is now in. Hour number two on this Tuesday afternoon. Appreciate Steve Lapis for joining us last hour. Breaking it all down. Final Four style. Looking forward to that. He'll be in New Orleans. I'll be there. Tim Brando will be there. Numchuk will not be there. No, you're not going to be there. Pete Gillen will be there. Whole crew there. Marco D'Angelo might be there. I don't know. He might be getting on his jet. Wait, wait a minute. That's not on the way to Pittsburgh, is it? Yeah, probably not. All right. This hour we'll talk to T.J. Reeves. He'll even be there. We're gathering in New Orleans for the Final Four championship game on Monday. Friday will be at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas before I get on a plane and go to New Orleans. And then uh, Monday and Tuesday, C. Wynn and uh, G-Man will be hunkering it down. They'll be at the Cosmopolitan on Monday for the championship game. I'll be checking in with them from afar. And then uh, Tuesday, they'll be filling in as well, back on Wednesday for it. But this week, we continue on with the breakdown, with the previews of the Final Four. Looking forward to it. The greatest time of all time. you got to love it. But come on out and join us here at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Friday as uh, we preview all of the Final Four action. And Marco D'Angelo will be in the house. He's actually not in the house now. I think he's in his own house. As we talk to Marco right now, what's going on, brother? ATC, uh, just uh, trying to get to the uh, finish line here of the college basketball season. Uh, 
interesting Final Four. I uh, talk about having a blue blood uh, Final Four. We've got that for sure. Only one missing from the dance parties, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, and we saw how that worked out for them in the opening round, losing in the first round to St. Pete's, right? The uh, number two-seeded Kentucky Wildcats going down to the 15-seeded Peacocks. But, uh, yeah, when it's all said and done, we've got ones and twos uh, here. So, yeah, you're right. We had all the drama. We had all the upsets. But in the end, we've got ourselves a great Final Four. And I, can we agree here, Marco, that whoever is was doing the seeding here – I really didn't watch much ACC basketball this year because you're, you're putting Carolina at an 8 and you're putting Miami at a 10. Somebody definitely didn't watch the games when those two played each other this year because those were phenomenal contests, but the ACC in general. Yeah, I, you know, I'll be honest. I was one that uh, I was a little bit down on the ACC this year. I, I thought that... You know, after Duke, there was a lot of inconsistency throughout the year. Everybody was beating everybody up, and that's what you have sometimes. Uh, you know, whenever you get taking turns knocking each other off, is it because, you know, everybody's middle of the road, or is it that everybody is good and they just keep beating one another? And as we've seen now that we got two of them to the Final Four, uh, the ACC looks like they've been a lot better than they were. How many people would have rather had these brackets the other way around so that Duke and North Carolina, if they were going to meet for the third time, didn't meet until the championship game? It seems like we have that discussion all the time, every year, right? It just seems like it. Well, this this national semifinal could be the final. And I guess you could make that argument, but you know, for me... I I love the other game. I love Kansas and Villanova. I wish that Justin Moore was playing uh, because it would make it uh, even more interesting than I think it is. But I'm not going to sell Villanova uh, short. So, but I think if if you get a Villanova or Kansas winner against you know Duke or even North Carolina, and I'm going to say this that if North Carolina beats Duke, then they deserve to be there because this team has just blasted every opponent that's been put in front of them. I understand the Baylor game was 85-80 and it went to overtime, but they did build a 25-point lead over the defending champs in that game. And so if we are going to have a number 8 seed, you know, this isn't like a George Mason or a St. Pete or somebody like that, you know, that you're thinking, okay, there's no way they can win this game. You can make the argument that Carolina can beat Duke here, can't you? Oh, you definitely can because all you have to do is go back to the end of the regular season, the final home game for Coach K, and they went in there and, I mean, they took it to Duke. It wasn't, you know, like they pulled out a buzzer beater. Uh, they controlled that game throughout. And, you know, it was the case when we talked about that game afterwards and had moving into the tournament, I think we didn't give North Carolina enough credit. I know I sold them short. I stepped in front of them a couple times. I went with Baylor. I didn't think they could run with Baylor. And as you said, they had that 25-point lead. And then to blow the lead all the way and go to overtime, TC, when that happens, I mean, we've bet enough games over the years that the team that blew the big lead and goes into overtime more often than not is going to lose in overtime. They've lost all the momentum. And give them credit, they were able to regain their composure and win that game against Baylor. And then they took care of business against UCLA. And then the St. Peter's game, you know, we kind of saw that the handwriting on the wall. We talked about it numerous times, that the advantage 
having a week to prepare for somebody helps the lesser team. Okay, you got more time to prepare and come up with stuff. When you win that game and then have to come back a day later, you got the one day in between. It's tough for the smaller school, and I think that's what happened to Saint Saint Pizza on Sunday against North Carolina. Just after getting another upset. It was just too much to come back on Sunday. They didn't have the athletes, and that game was over five minutes into the game. I mean, it was, uh, you know, 30-something to 13, and, you know, they never looked back at Carolina. But my question to you, TC, is how much stock do you put in that win for North Carolina at Duke to end the season? Because remember, they got blown out on their home floor earlier in the year. And how much do you put was it just too much pressure on the Duke kids, that final home game for Coach K, all the celebrities, all of the old uh, players coming back for that game? That was a lot of pressure for 20 to 22-year-old kids. Yeah, I. here's the thing. I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to go that route and say that it was too much pressure on them. We, you heard the interview with Coach K, you know, after that game and then also during uh, when he got done with the Michigan State game where they, they battled back and were trading and looked like they were going to get eliminated with, with four and a half minutes to go. And he says, you know, I'm finally glad that we got through the farewell tour and all this other kind of stuff. And now we came from behind. We won a close game. And it just seemed like, you know, we're, they're playing with house money now that this team is, is playing more more loose. They weren't playing loose that game. And they definitely weren't playing loose in the ACC tournament when they got beat by Virginia Tech in, in the championship game. So Duke now just looks like the Duke team that we expected to see. I go back to that game when we saw Duke play here at T-Mobile Arena against Gonzaga, where they were playing loose. They came in as an underdog in that game, if you remember. And Duke is just better, I think, you know, in that role instead of being the favorite and with all that pressure, like you say. But when I match up these two teams, Marco, with North Carolina and Duke, I don't think it matters you know, when they play or even sometimes what year they play, these two teams are just up for each other. And we've seen it over the years where one would be a little bit down and then the other would just would win the game outright or cover, uh, you know, close to a double-digit spread. We've seen that. And I just think with North Carolina, they played so awful that earlier game in Chapel Hill because Caleb Love was no good. In that game at Cameron Indoor in the final uh, regular season game, it was Caleb was fantastic. So Carolina is a very streaky team. And you go back to the first game of this tournament when they just blitzed Marquette because they, they hit like seven out of the first eight shots. And that's the kind of firepower and role that Carolina get on. So, you know, for me, I think it's they both have equal talent. They're both fantastic. But, you know, Carolina can be that streaky team. And if Carolina continues to play the way they've been playing, then I think they have a great shot to beat Duke again. Yeah, when you look at the you know the numbers here in the tournament, we're getting a little bit of a contrast. And this is something that I generally don't say about North Carolina. But if you look at them, the four games in a tournament thus far, they've held three of the four opponents to 35% or less shooting from the field. That's a number you would expect the other way around on the Duke side. But the flip side to that is since they've gotten into the tournament, Duke, they're the offensive team. They have all four games, they have shot over 50% uh, from the field, something that 
North Carolina, even as easy of the wins that they've had, they have not got to 50 in any 50% shooting in any of those four games. So it's a little bit of role reversal, but I will say this for North Carolina. They decided to get hot at the best time of the year. I mean, this is a team that throughout the season, you know, I thought was a little bit inconsistent, uh, but they got it going down the stretch and they, you know, rolled it right into the tournament. So it's going to be a good matchup. I will be honest with you. I'll break these games down with you, but I haven't etched my pick in stone yet um this is you know i want to see what happens see how the practices go obviously we always talk about looking at totals um in these games and how you know when we get to the final four and you know the bigger venues we always talk about you know that first half we're going to have a slower paced game uh new sight lines and everything like that and when you talk about you know, games and you talk about defense, there isn't anybody playing better defense than Kansas right now yeah. when you go to the other game. Uh, they have been on lockdown uh, defensively uh, throughout this tournament in the four games so far. Now, granted, first game was Texas Southern, but Creighton, Providence, which was everybody's darling, uh, Providence, and then Miami, they've held those four teams 32, 35, 33, 34% from the field. That's getting it done. And, you know, you look at Villanova. We know Villanova can play defense as well. They held two very good offensive teams. Michigan, they held the 34% from the field. And then Houston, a team that a lot of people had going to the Final Four, if not the championship game. That was a lot of people's sleeper this year. Um, 29.8% from the field from that game. Just an absolute paint dry game, 50 to 44. We might see another one of those type of games, especially out of the gate with these two teams, the way they can play defense. In Kansas, if you look at that game against Miami, and we always talk about, and it's something that you can't, you can't discuss in advance to try to tell people how to do it, but in-game wagering is you know, our best friend in trying to, as you see a game develop. And if you watch the first half, of the Kansas-Miami game. They went in at halftime minus, down six points. They had one three-pointer in the first half, and they were three of nine from the free-throw line and still was only down six in that game. If there was ever a game where you you know jumping in at halftime uh, in in-game wagering just knew that Kansas was going to reverse those numbers uh, and then pull away the way they did in the second half. But they still shot poorly from the foul line in that game. I think they missed like 10 foul shots during that game. It could have been a much bigger uh, margin for them, but uh, this is one of those spots where they're playing good ball at the right time, and uh, the Big 12 was the conference I thought was the toughest this year. All right. Marco D'Angelo joins us uh, from wagertalk.com. Get Marco's uh, picks uh, there. Appreciate Marco being with us uh, during the course of the year, whether it's football, whether it's basketball. And that's why I wanted to talk with you today, Marco, because obviously I, I didn't get a chance to uh, be with you on Friday at the Cosmopolitan. I know you will join us uh, this Friday when we'll really zoom into it and we'll, we'll diagnose uh, you know, these games in detail after we uh, you know, uh, really examine it here the next few days. But you know, the early take here is that I know the Justin Moore in- injury is, is brutal for Villanova, but and you mentioned the way they handled, you know, Houston. But this is what Villanova, you know, has been doing. And going back to Kansas, you just rattled off Kansas's path and who they played. 
And, you know, they really had the easiest path when you break it down. And they had a number one seed. And, of course, you mentioned open against Texas Southern. But those other teams that you talked about, none of those teams, from Creighton to Providence to Miami, none of these teams were high-percentage field goal shooting percentage teams, you know, and they were, I mean, Creighton, as we know, was, was one of the worst. They're one of the worst three point shooting teams and Miami, you know, is, 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 is known for being schizo as well too. So when I looked at that first half game, like you mentioned, they were shoot, uh, Kansas was shooting terrible. They were awful from the free throw line and then boom, they turned it up a notch in the second half and, and they won going away. But that really has not been the MO for Kansas during the course of this tournament. And I just think that, you know, when you're going to face a team like Villanova that is going to play lockdown defense, that is going to slow the pace considerably some for you here. And then now, I'm not saying Kansas is full of themselves, but not a lot of people are giving Villanova a chance in this game because they don't have much depth to begin with. And now you're, you know, you're going to lose Justin Moore here. I'm saying watch out for the, for the Wildcats here because remember, and I'll add this too, Kansas was that team that we kind of said, I don't know about you, but a lot of people were saying, eh, that's the number one seed that we could see maybe falling. And, you know, they do have a history of falling early on or midway through this tournament. So, I'm not as high on Kansas as a lot of people are as they facing Villanova in the Final Four. There's no question they had an easier path to get here uh, than Villanova did. Uh, Villanova, I think that if you are going to look at the side for Villanova, this is one of those ones where you've got to be talking correlated parlay. Um, if you're looking at Villanova, Villanova's not, because of the injuries and everything, they're not going to be able to go in and trade blows and try to go uh, up-tempo with Kansas. That's not their M.O., and that's not what they've done the last two games. Uh, and that's what they got to do again on Saturday whenever they face Kansas. they got to try to make Kansas work for every bucket, try to get this into a, you know, a slower pace uh, to try to shorten the game and then make them work in a half-court offense. Uh, that's what Villanova does. And, you know, and I'm looking at this one, you know, you've got a full game total uh, on this game, you know, anywhere from 132.5 to 133. But when you look at the halftime line, you know, they always, the second half is always going to be, uh, you know, they don't split it right in half. You're going to get less uh, on the first half wager. You're looking at uh, around, let me grab my updated number in front of you. We're looking at it. This is a spot where you're looking at Villanova, Kansas at 61.5 for the first half uh, in a game that's got, a, you know, 132 there. How do they get past 30 uh, based on the way they should play this game? I, I'm going to be looking at a first-half underwager. I know that's one thing I'll be looking at. Mm-hmm. Marco D'Angelo joins us talking about the Final Four uh, matchups, talking about Kansas and Villanova. The pace, obviously, we're expecting a little bit slow. And then on the flip side, the the, the primetime game, the nighttime game is is Duke and North Carolina, Marco, and we expect maybe a track meet, and that's what we normally see when both these teams face each other. And you can make the knock that Carolina usually doesn't play that good a defense, and we've seen that with Duke as well too. And you know, Duke really didn't play good defense at all when they faced you know Carolina in Coach K's uh, finale here, but. 
you know, Duke has played some great defense, especially the last two games uh, there in San Francisco and against Arkansas where they threw the zone at you, and Coach K's been throwing a little bit more zone. It'll be interesting to see if he does that against Carolina and seeing if either one of these teams wants to try to attempt to slow the other one down with those type of tactics. Well, the way Duke has been shooting the basketball, uh, you know, and you look at their route, I mean, Michigan State, Overall, for the year, it was a down year for me. The, the tournament, they're still, you know, that's one of the teams that's always tested every year with Izzo there. Then Texas Tech, you know, that's a game where they, they play Texas Tech. And I'll be honest, I thought Texas Tech was going to be the team that was going to be able to beat them. I thought with their defense, they could slow Duke down. Uh, Texas Tech can get you into those ugly type of games. They can play both ways, but they're very happy playing a game, you know, in the upper 50s, low 60s, maybe take Duke out of their comfort zone. Duke was able to shoot, you know, 52% in that game. Uh, They got good looks, and they were able, you know, to get 78 points in that game against the Texas Tech team. If they could get 78 in that game, 85 against Michigan State, and then, you know, Arkansas, who we've seen at times play both ways this year. I still remember, you know, we talked about that game during the regular season on a Friday show when we were at the Cosmo when they played Tennessee. They were going to catch Tennessee at a great spot coming off the Kentucky upset earlier in the week, and they played a 58-48 game. You know, got you into that, you know, hardcore defensive game, physical game, and for Duke to be able to put up that many points on the teams that they've played coming in here, there's no way I would want to uh, hold an under ticket in this game Hmm. on Saturday. Right. All right, Marco, for most people, they got to wait until Saturday. But as you know, if uh, we're looking at the board, we've got a couple games tonight in the NIT. And I always enjoy the NIT, especially at Madison Square Garden. I'm really bummed at the news that we're, that we're finding out that the Garden's not going to be uh, the home to the NIT in, in future years. But uh, tonight we've got two games. We've got St. Bonaventure and Xavier. Both these games basically a pick them. And then the nightcap tonight is that Texas A&M team playing Washington State. And, of course, A&M got a lot of love uh, you know, from myself and a lot of other people thinking they should have been in the tournament. I still feel that way. And they have just been rolling through uh, this uh, NIT tournament. So tonight we got the semis at the Garden. Uh, give me some thoughts. Are you playing either one of these games? I didn't give either of these games to my clients. I worked both games back. I leaned to St. Bonaventure in the first game. This is a team that has played good basketball all year long. Uh, they can play some defense as well. Uh, during the tournament, you know, they lit it up against uh, Colorado uh, and then Oklahoma. They, you know, again, they played a close game against Oklahoma, but they were, you know, on the road, five-and-a-half-point underdog. They took it to Oklahoma got that win. I was on them there. I was on them against Virginia. Uh, Another close game. So for me, if this game comes down to the wire, because of their style, I give them the edge uh, in a tight game. Now, Xavier did escape with a tough uh, win in their last one, but it was against Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt, you know, again, they beat two SEC teams to get here, Florida and Vanderbilt. But let's be honest, Florida and Vanderbilt were not upper SEC teams uh, this season. So I think St. Bonaventure, I'm a little bit more impressed with their road to Madison Square Garden. I lean to them in that one. 
In the other game, you're 100% right with Texas A&M. You know, this is the, the team that should have been in the NCAA tournament. They got the chip on their shoulder. They're playing like they, you know, have something to prove. But I'll tell you who's been sneaky and is playing their best ball of the season at the end of the season. Washington State got hot at the end of the year. Uh, the last week in February uh, through now, this is a team that went 7-1 and one down the stretch. The only team they lost to uh, during that stretch was UCLA, uh, a team, you know, that uh, played well in the tournament, you know, until they lost uh, last weekend. I like Washington State. I think they could pull the upset in this one. Um, it, to me, I know the angle, and we all like to do it, but now they got there to – to the NIT. They proved that, you know, they should have probably been in the big dance, but now they're like the other three teams. They're in Madison Square Garden. They're all going for the same goal. So I don't know that you can play that we got a chip on our shoulder card anymore. Uh, it's, you know, everybody's at 0-0 here for these four teams that are left. I think Washington State can pull a surprise tonight. Ooh, okay, Marco. Alright, I don't like hearing that, brother. Don't like hearing that at all. <laughs> I, I got my Aggie shirt on today. Come on now. There you go. Uh, well, you know, I'm not there to see what you know what we're wearing. And uh, you've got more uh, gear. That did you ever get a St. Pete shirt though? That's no, I'm not. I never like St. Pete's. I never like the campus. I don't like the school. I don't like that coach. Forget about it. No St. Pete's for me. How can you not like a peacock though? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Peacock is pretty. I want you know I, they ruined it for me during the Olympic Games when NBC said, "Oh, we can't watch basketball. We can't watch Team USA. We're putting them on Peacock." I don't have Peacock. No Peacock for me. <laughs> Unlike Numbchuck, I'm not a fan of the cock. Oh lordy, <laughs> I will leave that one go. <laughs> I like a gamecock better than a peacock. How about that? There you okay, go. Okay, we'll go, we'll go with that. There you go, South Carolina. Marco, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you on Friday, my friend, all right? All right, let's do it. There you go. And I, I got a feeling that the chicken will be getting brought up again. Blue ribbon <laughs> will be getting brought up. I'll, I'll see if I can make us a reservation. How's that? Clear your there cal- you go. Clear your calendar. <laughs> I want a bucket of chicken. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. All right, TC. Take care. He is a great follow on Twitter, too, Marco D'Angelo, and over at wagertalk.com. Get Marco's plays. That's where you get him. He joins us each and every week. He's going to join us on Friday at the Cosmopolitan as well. All right. Let's go to the phones. Karen, you're on. What's happening? Hey, TC. Uh, just wanted to give you a quick call about a couple things. One, I have a terrible Tuesday, and it was actually funny you just mentioned it. It happens to be about the St. Pete's coach, and most of the coaches in the tournament. Um, I am so tired of hearing these coaches act like fools and say, nobody gave us a chance, nobody gave us any respect, nobody thought we had a chance. You're in the tournament. You obviously got some respect, especially teams that didn't win their conference. You wouldn't be in the tournament if somebody didn't think you should be there. And, yes, every team has doubters, and every team is going to have people saying they don't deserve to be there. And I understand the whole Cinderella story and that, yeah, nobody thought they'd win the first round. But that coach made me so sick watching him act like a high school player crossing his arms like a little gangster saying, what you say now, what they going to say now? It's like, come on. 
You're representing a university. You're not representing some park and rec league. You are standing there as a representative of a higher education learning university. Mm -hmm. Act like it. Mm -hmm. Act like a professional. And he's not the only one. There were several others that said, oh, everybody doubted us to all our doubters. You can just take it, you know, whatever, whatever. And my point is, is Duke actually had a player that very articulately said in the course of our season, there were people who doubted we'd even make it here. And I'm just so happy that we're making it to the Elite Eight. Mm -hmm. That's how you say it. You don't have to do this whole, you know, I mean, you're the adult, act like it. You don't have to do this in your face. Nobody thought we should be here. I don't think there's anybody in the tournament that didn't deserve to be there. Some were questionable, but you played a season and people doubted you. Okay, but you don't have to act like a fool. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And when you look at the St. Peter's coach, I mean, it was definitely a turnoff for a guy that's sitting there and say, well, you know, what are they going to say now? And the way, you know, when they beat Purdue and you look at the other side, Matt Painter just got embarrassed, you know, again, because this isn't his first time that Purdue has had an early exit and is a 13 point favorite. I mean, they got outplayed by, by St. Pete's, and he was a classy guy. And he said, hey, give them credit. And then what do you have, you know, with the St. Pete's coach saying, what are they going to say now? What are they going to say now? And, yeah. and then, um, I don't know if, if you saw it, but the next game in the Elite Eight game, when they did the coach's sideline reporter thing, when the um, uh, sideline reporter asked him, like, well, how are you going to be able to handle North Carolina? How are you going to handle their bigs inside? And his we'll make adjustments. And then she goes, well, yeah, yeah. how are you going to go do that? And he wouldn't elaborate. And he basically took off his headset and said, yeah, don't you worry about it. And I'm paraphrasing there. Uh, we're going to make the adjustments. And he just, and he left the interview. I mean, again, this guy has not never been on a grand stage and we've seen smaller schools like this, you know, with Jim Laranega when he was at George Mason. We saw Porter Moser at Loyola. These guys are ecstatic. They're ecstatic to just get the camera time, and they know what what their situation is. They know that they are David versus Goliath. And even uh, the announcing crew said they don't believe they're David. (laughs) So it's it's crazy. Very unprofessional. And you're right. I thought the way he acted when they were losing was worse than that way he acted when they were winning. But I have a a quick question for you, Um, and I know you – you have such knowledge on this that I, I'm, a, I'm hoping you can help me. Um, I don't know if it's me, but I feel like the game today, I don't know if it's the game, I don't know if it's the practice, I don't know if it's what they're eating, the vitamins, whatever. I see so many injuries in basketball today, and, it, I mean, it killed me to watch the kid from Villanova get hurt. Um, it, it, it's it seems like players are going down more and they're, they're getting hurt on silly injuries. I mean, his was not, uh, you know, stepping on anybody's foot or anything like that. It was just a jab step kind of weird move and he tears his Achilles and, you know, technically he could be done. You never know. I mean, uh, it's a hard surgery to come back for, but I think back to the day of, you know, Bill Lambeer and Charles Barkley and, and your Bill Cartwright, these guys played. It was a rough 
mean game. I mean, Lambert took people out. And I don't, didn't see guys going down every week with career-ending or season-ending injuries. And it's not just basketball. It, it is every sport. And, and I'm one that it get, makes me mad when in football they don't want to play in these bowl games because they might get hurt. But I actually am beginning to understand it, especially watching this tournament. I don't know what. They're, they're slipping on the floor all the time. And I realize a lot of it is flopped. But the injuries, I, I bet, I would love to know the statistic, I bet that there are more sports surgeries than there are births in the United <laughs> States. I mean, there are more. I Look it up just here in Vegas. Do you know how many sports doctors there are and doing these kind of surgeries? It's insane. Yeah, I mean, the Justin Moore injury is definitely unfortunate. And, again, when it comes on the grand stage like this, my take on this, and, again, I don't, know what the numbers are to back it up or not but this is in it's funny you bring up uh those guys you brought up like bill carter because we actually had this conversation last weekend about about this injuries have always been there okay they have always been there but we're seeing probably more now uh, that's because of the coverage that we get i mean going back in the day we weren't watching you didn't have access to watch every game that you had and if a player had an injury most of the times they would play through that there are guys that actually had torn achilles and they they didn't have the mris immediately or the equipment you know in the arenas like they do now and a lot of these guys would play through it over the course of maybe a few games or even a couple weeks or, or something like that and even if they had a little bit lesser of an injury that maybe it would just be like a sprain or whatever. Well, nowadays they're they're on the shelf for three weeks for that, and they would just play through it. So it just seems like it's heightened now because we're seeing so many more games, and you know, the injuries are, are right in front of us. Um, you know, the courts are different now too. You look at the courts, and we've seen guys that have. Uh, torn their Achilles or ACLs because they'll slip on like the stickers that they have there on the floor. The NCAA has stickers. You have in the NBA arenas, you have sponsorship stickers and, and that kind of stuff. And you have ice underneath these floors in a lot of arenas because you're playing in hockey arenas and the condensation adds to that. So, and that's why you see oh, wow. these guys out there all the time with towels now, you know, wiping it up or whatever. And I've actually called games on, on a couple of these arenas where my feet have actually gotten very, very cold. And so, and the more cold it is, the more slippage that you're going to get. So it's things like that. I think that you see more nowadays than you have uh, in the past. But I think also because of the coverage, because of the access, it's just uh, becoming more you know, to light that, that, that we're seeing this. There's always been injuries, but now it just seems like we're being more aware of it, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And that, that was very interesting. I did not realize there were that many courts on ice. Uh, as always, I learned something on your show, but... I just can't understand why they aren't doing something to prevent this. These are kids that are potentially ending their careers on preventable injuries, and that's what that's what bothers me. All right, Karen, great stuff. I appreciate you listening. Appreciate uh, the phone call. And uh, who, who do you have in your bracket? Uh, are you still alive? <laughs> What's going on? Well, I didn't have St. Pete's. So that's for darn sure. Uh, <laughs> 
No, unfortunately, I do have Duke still alive. I do not have them winning at all. But unfortunately, mine went out extremely early, and I'm extremely sad about it. But that's all right. That's why they call it March Madness, right? You got it. And the good thing is, nobody will ever see my bracket. (laughs) (laughs) All right, appreciate the phone call. All right, right, we come back. T.J. Reeves is going to join us. We go to Florida. We talk a little NFL and more March Madness. Looking forward to the Final Four on Saturday. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. All right, you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Check out our preview up on the website. Breaking it down for you, the two games of Final Four on Saturday in New Orleans. And uh, you can go and you can listen to uh, Pete Gillen's response to Rex Chapman. (laughs) Thinking that Pete Gillen was dead and we talked to Pete on the show last week. So we got that little uh, blurb up there on the website. Go to the interview page. Go to the current interview page for the most recent interviews and some of the best. And, of course, the classic interview page up there as well at tcmartinshow.com. Looking forward to being down in the Big Easy. Going to New Orleans this weekend for the Final Four. Great trip last weekend, of course, into the Bay Area for the uh, Elite Eight and the Sweet 16. So uh, we continue on. Before we do that, though, join us at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Friday for our Final Four show. Looking forward to that, uh, not only with our our former players, coaches, and our handicappers as well, too. No better place than the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Join us now. We go to Tampa FLA. I don't think there's any breaking Bucks news to talk about. This is unusual. I mean, the way the Bucks are always going and everything, there's always something to talk about. But uh, anyway, we will talk to our man, TJ Reeves, live from Tampa, who's been covering the NCAA tournament, college basketball, coast-to-coast, a great podcast that he has going on. What is up, my friend? Always good to be with my initials, brother. I'm looking forward to being with you in the big easy. We're going to eventually get you to Tampa. We're at least going to get you in the central time zone and get you on the bayou in the Gulf South, and we'll eventually get you to return the home game after I was out in Vegas uh, last summer with the family. So it's going to be good to catch up, and I think there might be a little interest in Villanova, Kansas, followed by Hello Duke, North Carolina, that we're there for this week. So it uh, should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. And by the way, there is a little bit of Buccaneer breaking news. If you kind oh, of sort let, of let's go. Let's hear. on the show. I'm not. I'm not sure if Numchuck's on his game. He is. Numchuck on his game. Uh, the Buccaneers from the NFL owners meeting in Palm Beach have confirmed that they are not only playing a game in Germany. They will not confirm who the opponent is. Because the NFL is the one, the, the, the NFL will obviously release for the international games who the teams are going to be. We know the Jaguars uh, annually play a game in, in London. We know the Buccaneers are playing a game in Germany. They'll fill in the other teams themselves. But the Bucks did confirm at the NFL owners' meetings it will not be the Packers' home game that they have coming up. They have protected that game. They could protect one game from the game going to Germany being in the international game. So this further leads to the speculation that it will be Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs that will venture to Munich, Germany to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> at some point in October. We'll see. I love it. I love, you know, see, I'm, I'm the anti 
overseas game, definitely the anti-England game, even though our good buddy Paul Buck Power Stewart would probably yeah. be calling that game. But Bundesliga, Schweinsteiger, get me there to a Bundesliga game over that nonsense. But TJ Reeves, we understand that the Bucks. And the Kansas City Chiefs, we're never going to see that kind of high-profile game over in in Bayern Munich. It's not going to happen. It's going to be the Bucks against, you know, the lowly Carolina Panthers or the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's always that way, my friend. I mean, that would really be some breaking news if the NFL really marches all the way over to Germany and gives us, like, basically like a Super Bowl, you know, preview, so to speak. Come on. I'm not buying. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is the reporting has been everywhere that it is the Chiefs game, but there's nothing confirmed, and the NFL will announce it coming up in a couple of weeks. Probably just before the draft, they like to announce the at least the uh, international games. So we'll see if that's the case. Numbshuck, this is not our traditional regular German music or song. Is this something from Sergeant Bilko? What is this? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's, that's enough of that. Jeez. All right. Please tell me that I get to participate in Terrible Tuesday, and it doesn't just have to do with uh, Numchuck's musical selection on a Terrible Tuesday. Absolutely. Can... You have a Terrible Tuesday for us? Go, TJ Reeves. I have several. Whatever avenues you want to travel. We can talk March Madness. We can do Terrible Tuesdays now. Whatever you like. Just whatever you like. Give, give me a, if you have a Terrible Tuesday, uh, partake. This is what, the, I'm launching, this is what I'm this launching is for. right now on the NFL cowing down to we've got, we've got to have both teams make sure they have the ball for a touchdown in overtime. I, I I mean, how many more times are we going to change sudden death into something now that's not sudden death anymore? <laughs> and by the way, it doesn't match what you're doing in the regular season either. Did you notice that, brother? We knows. Uh, I, 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 ran, I ran it about it in the first segment. That's exactly okay. I, I didn't took get a, to hear you in the first uh, segment, but how, how in the world do you have one rule that says if you score a touchdown right away in the regular season, the game is over? Yeah. And that could, by the way, decide home field advantage, a division win, whatever. But in the in, in the postseason, we're going to change the rules up and make sure that both teams have a chance to have the ball, even if the first team gets a touchdown. I that you're preaching to the choir, to man. No, again, rules are supposed to be rules, no matter when they play it. And again, let's just let's just go back to old school. If you want to keep changing these things or you want to complain that the games are too long and we've got to shorten the overtime like we did in 2017 from 15 minutes down to 10 minutes, then just do away with it. Go back to kissing your sister. Go back to the tie if you want. <laughs> go to that nonsense. Or let's do this. Sudden death. I mean, you're old enough to remember. How about sudden death in the playoffs back in the day? Go back to the those games, you know, with the with the the Chargers and the the Dolphins and the games of that nature when you're on the edge of your seat because you had never seen anything like it. Now it's like, oh, another overtime game. Okay, we'll do that. Oh, but we're going to change it now. How about this? Play some defense. Don't defense win championships. Have your defense be able to to stop somebody. And TJ, I knew we were coming to this nonsense. Last year, that Chiefs-Bills game was so fantastic to watch. And then the pinball machine went off in the last two and a half minutes where everyone was scoring. And then all of a sudden, here comes the coin flip. Patrick Mahomes leads the Chiefs down. And what is the shot that we saw more than anything else? There's Josh Allen sitting on the sideline. Well, He's right. not going to get a chance to get in. His defense is going to let him down. Well, whose fault is that? You played 60 minutes already. You had plenty of time to score. You had the ball for 65 to 70 plays. I'm tired of hearing about this. Get some defense out there. 
I oh, agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I use this. Here's one for you, too. So, okay. you know, do you know what the um, what the the numbers are, the percentage was for teams that won the coin toss and then actually winning a regular season game in overtime? Do you know what the percentage is if you won the coin toss and you won the I game? Bet it, I bet it was probably 50-50 or even worse for the team that won the toss. 50%, brother! 50%! Oh, by the way, for you math wizards at home, uh, what is the... The 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 percentage of heads versus tails. What's that percentage? Fifty uh, percent, I believe. There you go. It's the same thing. Exactly. Even with my public school education, <laughs> I could come up with that one. Exactly. Uh, Here's yeah. all I know. Here's all I know. They they kept quoting that in the last decade there have been twelve postseason games, and seven times they have ended on the opening drive with a touchdown. That means five times the team kept them from scoring a touchdown and held them either either to a field goal or got the ball back. By the way, in the AFC title game last year, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs had the ball first. And what did the Cincinnati Bengals do, Doctor? They stopped them. They got the ball back. They kicked the field goal. They went to the Super Bowl. So you and I are in agreement on that one. Terrible Tuesday. Can I can I go off on the NHL schedule just real quick on the TC Martin? Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Thing. But I, I need to comment here. And Numchuk's yeah, uh, astute uh, music selection here. Uh, we got rollers coming. That's it. It's Jake and Elwood in the Bluesmobile right here. Get the cigarette lighter fixed. Okay, I just had to say because this is the scene where they're playing this song. There you go. We're on a mission from God. Got that right. Yes, exactly. All right, go ahead. Uh, what is up with the NHL on a terrible Tuesday? I got the take here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor, because we've been over this point a few times in Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, correct? Yes. That would be correct, right? Yes. Of course you're going to uh, remind us of that. I understand, yes. So so uh, I understand that the Lightning had to vacate their arena, the Amelie Arena in downtown Tampa, uh, because the SEC basketball tournament was being played here, the men's tournament. So they had to be gone at the beginning of the month of March because the SEC needed the arena for the entire week to get ready for the tournament, play the tournament out all the way through the weekend, etc. So the NHL shipped the Lightning out on a six-game Western road trip, which is not uncommon. I get that. They went to all the Western Canada cities, played in Winnipeg, played in Vancouver, played in Edmonton, played in Seattle against the new Kraken, etc. So the National Hockey League decides to have the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions now come back to the Eastern Time Zone, back to the Southeast, to play a single game, one game, against the New York Rangers before sending them back out on the road four more times, including this past weekend. Let's load it up as much as possible for the end of this uh, odyssey of about six or 7,000 miles that they put them through back and forth. Let's make them play Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock and then come right back and play Sunday on Long Island, play in Detroit on Saturday afternoon at 1, and come right back and play on Long Island against the Islanders Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Who is making the schedule? Is this is this Mr. Magoo? Is this pin the tail on the donkey? The Lightning had to play 10 of 11 games on the road and come back for only one of them in the middle for like a three-day break before they went back to play the other four. That's terrible. I'll tell you, he's making that uh, schedule as the NBA. Uh, it sounds like the San Antonio Spurs when they have the rodeo tour, or here at UNLV at the Thomas and Mack Center when they have the National Finals rodeo, which takes place, and they they kick UNLV out of the building for about eleven or twelve days. 
But see, none of that makes sense. This Emily Arena, and again, hasn't this been through a couple different concoctions? Or I guess that's Orlando. Correct. Well, yeah, that's Formerly ridiculous. Formerly the Ice stuff. Palace. Yeah. Formerly the Ice oh, Palace, and right. there was a couple of other things. But here's the deal. So, that's a four-day tournament. It's a four-day. Yeah, they don't have another tenant besides the tournament. Right. It's a four-day tournament, right? The SEC tournament. Right. So that makes zero sense at all. So I don't know. What that's all about? It's not like they did it just because of that, right? I mean, that couldn't be the reason they did that. Yeah, but I mean, again, you're scrambling to to get them because they had to leave from here. They went and played, uh, I believe, in Chicago. Then they had them scramble to go play Carolina, or it might have been Carolina first in Chicago. Then they then they had to they got like a day or at least a, a day. But then they had to play the back to back days when you're playing in the afternoon in Detroit. You got to be on a plane. Saturday night at the end of all of this to be on the ice in New York less than 24 hours later. And by the way, they won both games. So they were undaunted on that. It's just a terrible take there. Terrible Tuesday. No, there it is. That's TJ Reeves, a terrible Tuesday take uh, brought to you by a, an arena near you. There it is. And Emily, what is Emily? Anyway, is it a clean product? What Emily is, it? is a motor oil and a very <laughs> uh, prominent one, especially in the racing world in Indianapolis, et cetera. It's made in Indianapolis. Yum, yum, Okay, gotcha. All right, my friend. Final four. We've been talking a lot about. Yeah. Let's get let's get your take. All right, tell me who you like and why. I, hey, I uh, I cannot wait for game number two. In game number one, I would have said Villanova, but with the Justin Moore injury, I don't know how you take them against Kansas. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to debate this. You and I on the air, off the air. There's no confirmation that you and I may have a plastic silverware fight by the time it's Sunday afternoon or Sunday <laughs> evening being around each other for two days. But I I don't know how you can take Villanova right now in this situation when their second-best scorer and one of their veteran players is not going to be able to play in the game. So is it Kansas? And by the way, how wild would it be if we get all the way to the end of this and Kansas wins and Duke just somehow defeats North Carolina in what's going to be an epic semifinal game that coach k's first national title win is 1991 against whom against the kansas jayhawks of roy williams that year his last game could be against the kansas jayhawks of bill self if it comes down to it yeah i'm telling you my friend despite the justin moore injury do not sell the villanova wildcats short here and i will be one of those guys that will be on the Villanova Wildcats, and I understand you're not getting, uh, you're not really getting the value that maybe you could get. And we were talking uh, with one of our astute sportsbook directors, Chuck Esposito, yesterday, and he expects this line uh, to go high. So if you like Villanova, you wait and, and you play this thing. But if there is ever a team that can handle this injury, it's Villanova. It's Jay Wright. These his teams are built. They're built for March. They play a style that is going to frustrate Kansas. We have seen Kansas fall in their face before. Yes, they've won national championship before, but we've seen them fall in their face a la Purdue and uh, against a very rugged opponent like Villanova. Villanova shot under thirty percent and still defeated Houston and never trailed in that game. Think about that. Never trailed in that game. And they had Houston the favorite in this game, which was a joke that Houston was favored. Now, don't take nothing away from Houston. You know I like Houston. But the Villanova plays like Houston, but they play a more disciplined brand 
uh, of ball than Houston. Now you're going to get Kansas, who wants to go up and down the floor. They want to try to play racehorse basketball. You saw that against Miami. They got really sloppy. They turned the ball over. They were horrible at the free throw line in the first half, and they were on the verge of losing that game. But then Miami became Miami, and they started turning the ball over left and right, and they were a number 10 seed, and they showed why they're a number 10 seed in the end. Anybody else, Kansas has already gone home in that game, in that Elite Eight game. So I'm just saying it's unfortunate because Justin Moore is a huge part of that. But I'm thinking if anybody can overcome a loss of a player, it is definitely Villanova. And Caleb Daniels is fantastic. He plays 30 minutes alone. And you've got to remember, all these Villanova players, they only had really six of them, but now they got five of them. They're all interchangeable. Archie Diakonow is going to have to play a couple other, you know, he's going to play more minutes instead of playing two minutes a game. He's probably going to have to play about eight or nine minutes a game. Wait, wait, wait. I think on, you're a okay. Tuesday, on a terrible Tuesday, Archie Diakonow's long gone. He's in the NBA. You're talking about Colin Gillespie. Is no, no, no don't, 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 do not know. Colin Gillespie is a starting point guard. Archie Diakonow's younger brother. Come on. Oh, the younger brother. Yes, uh, yes. The younger brother's Come on. Step up. Right, are, are, you, are, are, are you watching the games here, Villanova? Terrible, yes. Terrible Tuesday take on me the, that I didn't realize which Archie Diakono and put that on the back of a jersey, by the way. The, the, yeah, good luck on that one, yeah. You have to go all the way around. I mean, they, you, talk, <laughs> you talk about that ridiculous half, that semicircle that we see in the middle of the key. Yeah, that, that's what that is on the back of a jersey. Is there so yeah, I'm just saying, TJ, I'm don't sell him it. short. He's a great coach. He can make yeah. adjustments. I just don't know that I trust it there in the Superdome. Right. We will see. Yeah. We will see. And, and the other and game, then, and then who knows? That, that second game, my friend, we've been talking about getting together at the Final Four here for three or four weeks. How, how in the world did we get fortunate enough that it's Duke, Carolina, and, and either one of two things happens. Either Coach K avenges to a degree what happened in his final game at Cameron where they blew it, or is North Carolina going to end his career in the Final Four where his last two meetings against North Carolina are losses and it ends his coaching career? What a backdrop. And the entire state of North Carolina is going to stop probably about 6 p.m., yeah. 7 p.m., uh, Eastern time and get ready to watch that game. It's going to be something else. No, that's going to be fantastic. And, you know, it would not surprise me one way or the other. Conventional wisdom, I think, says that Duke gets the revenge factor and Duke is playing so well right now. But the way Carolina's playing, I mean, they have just been blitzing everybody. And again, like I said before, I know that they, they had to go overtime to beat Baylor. But remember, they were leading by 25 and they've been shooting the lights out. It would not surprise me. And these two teams, like you said, they know each other well, they don't like each other. Man, what a nightcap for the Final Four. And uh, no matter what happens, no matter who gets there, Monday night is going to be must-see TV as well, too. It doesn't matter which oh, yeah. which of the four teams, the two of the four that are facing off against each other, uh, whoever wins this tournament is going to be, you know, deservedly so. It, it, this is well, no, you know, there's no Cinderella I here. Go, I know you got to go in a second, but you know the TBS, the NCAA and TBS are never going to announce this. They want Duke in that title game. Of course they do. It doesn't matter sure. as much about Villanova or Kansas. Oh, yeah. They want Duke. The storyline, can Coach K go out with a win just like John Wooden did in the national title game over Kentucky 1975 when he bowed out? Can Duke replicate that? But North Carolina, we got a lot of time to debate this. Yep. This weekend, T.C. Martin, North Carolina may stand in the way of that. And how, how bonkers is that going to be? If they beat him and deny him a national title in the Final Four, it would be wild. I absolutely can make a case for all four teams. All right, TJ Reeves, I'll let you go. Orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. Get the orange whips ready for the Reeves family. <laughs> Get some orange whips ready for me this weekend, my friend. There you go.
We are looking forward to the beignets. We're looking forward to the French Quarter. It is going to be some scene in New Orleans. I'm looking forward to being there with you. Thank you for letting me take part in a terrible Tuesday. Absolutely. Good take, my friend. We will talk to you later. He is TJ Reeves, our guy from Tampa, the Buck Sideline reporter. Uh, great podcast as well. Several podcasts that he, he anchors, including college basketball, coast to coast. want to thank Steve Lapis, the coach, for joining us today. Appreciate him and uh, his breakdown, as well as Marco D'Angelo and TJ Reeves. And your phone calls as well, too. Hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. Go to the website. Check it all out. It's all there at TCMartinShow.com. Tomorrow, Pete Gillen joins us and a whole lot more in store around your door. More of what you're looking for right here.